are you standing up right now? Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah, I got a, well, got like a standing desk situation, but also I have a kind of ADHD thing where I fidget a lot. And so I found that I stand pretty much every time with a laptop has just worked better for me. That's smart. That's a good idea. I've been thinking about becoming a stand-up desk guy. I can't commit. I actually am sitting at a standing desk, but it's got like it's adjustable. And I think I've actually stood on the desk maybe, I don't know, six times in like four years. Um, so you know, if you can do it, uh respect. Um, but I even bought like a fucking balance board and shit, and it just didn't never took. See, that's funny, Drew. I would have thought you're like a <clears throat> yoga ball guy. Um I mean, I'm not opposed to a yoga ball. I would sit on a yoga ball. That is some type of shit that I would do. Clocks. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't guess yoga ball, but definitely like one of those four hundred dollar Instagram bean bags that you could oh. fold in any oh, shape. Your Instagram like, ads. Your Instagram ads sound way better than mine. No, mine are terrible. What get, kind like, of ads are you getting? I'm getting ads for like underwear with like butt pads in them for men and shit. Oh, well, hang on a second. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, just, yeah. Why do they think you need that? I've talked about this on my stories. Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not hiding anything, yeah. Um, all my Instagram pants are for cool, uh, ads are for cool pants. So, these beanbag commercials and uh, ass chaps, that sounds foreign <laughs> to me. Well, they're like the opposite of chaps, because I was going to say, it's the reverse yeah. of assless chaps, extra ass chaps. Yeah. I mean, that's literally a King of the Hill joke. Like, when Hank is in, uh, he's in a lawnmower race and mm-hmm, he mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. can't sit down in the lawnmower long enough because he has a medically absent ass. And so he has to wear butt pads um, for this. Oh, no, you're right. There is. And he's, just like, he's one of those dag nabbit, look at where the world's coming to kind of situations. And then yep. by the end of the episode, he realizes he's much more left-leaning than he actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know who's a big writer on that show? Wyatt Cenac. Yep, knew that. Huh. Um, so, Keegan, where are you right now, like, in the world? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Portland, I moved Oregon. out here for about six years. My wife and I moved out here... Um, we were living in China briefly for about a year, and then we were living in Florida for a year to be close to family. And then we got married and moved out here, and we've been here ever since. Dan, you ever hang out with the uh, Leviathan guy? You know, I gotta be honest. I'm gonna have to Google the Leviathan guy. He's uh, a like sociopathically psychotic um, black metal guy. I think his oh, name's you know Jeff what? Whitehead. It's totally possible that I have. There's just like there's like so many of those that it'd be okay. hard to tell if it was the Leviathan or an imposter Leviathan. There's always like what I like about Portland is that is it's it like it is all of the corny shit people say it is, but it's also everything else. Like there is the corny shit there, but that's like every city has parts of it that are whack. Like are like there's just also so much more to the city than like the dweeby stuff. It's just like, I don't know, like less racist Philly. It's a really great collection of neighborhoods where most of what you do is the stuff you walk to. I walk to 
my, you know, my coffee shop, my grocery store, my bars. Like that's just, I found a place where I don't have to drive my car anywhere or like even transit to do most of the stuff I want. And I just haven't been able to move since I got here. Um, all right. Well, first of all, why, why you gotta, why you gotta throw Philly under the bus like that, man? I live here. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that Philly is one of America's great cities. And so you're racist. Of, no. <laughs> part of racist what makes it true, like Italian Americans, like, no, that's I only mean, a thing in New York. I'm speaking mostly about the Italian Polish American situation in Philly. You mean like the discrimination that the Italian American the Italian ex individuals face in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. At the hands of the really horrible Polish people who I think deserve. Oh yeah, brother. Oh, Hell yeah, brother. Tell, tell them about a uh, Smingus Dingus. <laughs> I don't know if Dingus day is like an anti-Polish holiday. Any elsewhere, like elsewhere in the world, elsewhere in the world, it's like a, been turned into like a celebration of Polish heritage some places, but in Buffalo, New York, Dingus Day is an actively anti-Polish holiday that revolves around mocking and harassing the Polish people. I do not know why this is real, but like people are like, people are like, this is not a thing, right? This is something that you're like making up. My aunt every Dingus Day wears a shirt that she has that says zero percent Polish. That's her like ball <laughs> bar crawl shirt. It's like proudly not Polish. It's a- <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it, like it is the only anti-Polish holiday in the nation that I'm aware of, and everybody seems it seems to be all like everybody is coexists pretty peacefully. Uh, you know, yearly we harass the Polish people; they take it really well, and then we move on. Um, so it's like the purge of anti-Polish. <laughs> Yes, it's the it's the purge of Polish racism. It's totally acceptable for one day. God, this is why America's number one. <laughs> we have like, we we're hanging like that. We're hanging on to our traditions of niche micro racism. <laughs> you have to you have to keep it local, stay true to what your community has always done. Right, even uh, the fact that you guys call it Dingus Day, you know, that takes some like uh which it's it's d-y-n-g-u-s and the actual history if you like wikipedia it involves something oh, involving be. hitting people with pussy willow branches and like it's it's really complicated the origins are like <laughs> don't they also very, like don't they also like throw a single young lady in the river if they want to marry her or something like that yeah it's kind of the thing that you feel like was made up in a book you read in middle school like the giver or something but it's actually <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's originally Smingus Dingus Day. They throw water over the girls on Easter Monday, and then sometimes they hit them with pussy willow branches. Oh, this is okay. I know where this comes from. This comes from the banyas, like the uh, the spas. I'm definitely so. This happens every April first. I am going to be celebrating this going forward in perpetuity. All right. Well, welcome to Nerzy. <laughs> The number one anti-Polish podcast on leftist rap Twitter. Uh, I am Drew. Come on, I I work in Greenpoint, man. I can't. Yeah. Okay, it's the number two anti-Polish podcast on leftist rap Twitter. Um, Let's just meet in the middle and say Serbians. You know, I gotta, Listen, I gotta man. be honest. We're we're wading into dicey territory here. I'm gonna need a flowchart <laughs> before we continue. 
All right. Well, I am Drew. Uh, my co-hosts are. Oh, me? Okay. Uh, I'm Trey. God, Slava P, the pride of Poland. Yeah, Slava P and the P is for Poland. Damn right. And uh, we are joined by the one and only Keegan Bradford of the band Camp Trash. Um, and we figured we would have you on because since you are of the band Camp Trash, we wanted to know if band camp is now trash. That was good. I read Thank that you. in the doc y'all sent over and could not believe it. Just the artistry <laughs> at work here. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Drew came up with that off the top of his head. That was the, all for his first. <laughs> this uh, the profundity of the pun here. Dude, um, I've been sitting on that for a week. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I guess, Keegan, um, first off, do you want to so Keegan, uh, you have to explain the band camp situation to us. Um, because you like it's literally in your name. <laughs> um, I have so I'm in a band that has our music up on band camp. We have you know sold music through band camp through our label, kind of like stars, which puts out our music and also on our own before and growing up, I used Bandcamp to put out music when I just would record stuff in our bedrooms. And I've also had the pleasure of writing for their publication, Bandcamp Daily, which is a, another side of the website where they do like editorial music writing. Um, and I love, have always loved the website. I think it's just a great filling a gap that doesn't exist anywhere, you know, just a place where you could, put up your music for free and share it with people and they could download it. And then there was like just basic, it's like the, the best part of the internet where you go somewhere and there's a really basic search option to find a genre or a location or like just a, just a way to broadly search and find stuff you'd never find otherwise. It's like um, now that Google doesn't work at all and YouTube doesn't <laughs> allow you to like special specialize your searches or whatever, like, it's insane that YouTube doesn't let you search by time period. It's just like first or last. And it's because they want to push like algorithmically promoted content to you to kind of keep the, the ad cycle going. But it, it's just like all this stuff that was fun to discover on the internet is just being buried. And so Bandcamp was a very basic music discovery system that I, that I loved. And then for a while I was writing a music column about, cause when I lived in China, there was like this band called Chinese football. And I was like, that's hilarious. What? It'd be so funny if they sounded like American football, the, you know, the Midwest emo band and they sound just like American football. That's the joke. They loved American oh football. My God. And these guys from Wuhan started a band called Chinese football, which rocks. It's really good. We've also got a Japanese football in Japan now. They're really leading hard into it, but so it's um, almost like uh, it's almost like DB bands, where like the entire genre is based off the work of one band. Yeah, yeah, it keeps unfolding in a very specific way. But I found I found this because Bandcamp was one of the few websites that wasn't blocked. Also, when I was in China, I couldn't use Twitter or anything without a VPN, and had to 
figure out what I could actually do on the internet there. I was living in Guangzhou, um, which is Southeast China. It's like an hour and a half from Hong Kong or an hour and a half by train. And so we would take the train to Hong Kong all the time. Hong Kong is the best city on earth. It's like, it's a no visa city. So if you can fly there, you can hang out there. You should just Mm. go. It's like if, you know how Seattle is kind of like centered around the bay, you know, there's like the water and everything. It's like if you did that with New York City, just put a much bigger city in the mountains around the bays. And it's, it's the most fun city I've ever been in. But um, I was like, I started going to concerts in Hong Kong because I had friends that were over there and I was finding music through Bandcamp. And I was like, holy shit, it's like these kind of niche genres of music that I'm into are all happening here. And so when I came home, um, I started writing a little column for a music website called The Alternative, where I did like roundups of like emo and punk music that was coming out of uh, China, Japan and Indonesia, Malaysia and just Asian countries that weren't getting any U.S. coverage. And I would just search by country. I would just type in a country or a city and listen to hundreds of like releases, like whatever I could find from there. And and just stumble into these like little local music scenes that were just uploading their own music online. Um, and there's just so, again, there's just so few places like that anymore where you can be like, I'm going to find something that nobody's hearing and nobody's finding. And you can't do that with Google or YouTube or any of the major services anymore. So to have a place where I was just able to like find stuff with no system in place and everything felt like a discovery was really cool and i made a lot of friends that way connecting with people that play music overseas um and so Bandcamp, like obviously has been sold twice since then since the days when i was writing for them and like using them to write columns and stuff and the first time it was sold to epic games and it seemed like bad at first because usually when a major company acquired like a video game company acquires a different kind of company. You're like, this is probably not going to be good. But (laughs) for a while, it felt like nothing was happening except cooler music was in Fortnite. And I was like, well, this is not bad. This is certainly not the worst thing that could happen. Um, I will say that uh, I lived in Durham, North Carolina at the time that the sale happened. And Fortnite company, Epic Games, would their headquarter was like one town over. And in terms of like, I don't know, giant companies, like they weren't that bad. They're not great. Um, the, but like one interesting thing about the owner of that company is, or I guess founder is he would buy land in North Carolina, just like big tracts of land and, and then he would just like give it to the state. He would just be like, "Hey, I got this for y'all. Uh, you can have it as a park." Um, but, just doing freelance government stuff. Wait, what, what, what else was he doing? Because I feel like that's a distract from something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, like. Well, I guess Keegan's about to tell us what else he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like ruining teens' lives by having Fortnite. Um, I think is a big one. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I don't actually, I don't know anything about the Epic game world um, other than they called their company Epic Games, which seems like a problem in and of itself. But has, really, anyone here, has anyone played Fortnite? So I am trying to play Fortnite. My younger brother, so I have six brothers. 
and um, most of them are back in Florida and they're all younger. And the one thing that they all do is they all play Fortnite. It's the one game they all share. Some of them play, the younger one plays Minecraft, the older ones play different stuff, but everybody plays Fortnite. And so I was trying to get competent at it so that Mm -hmm. I could play with them, so we could do something, you know. And I can only, like my, the old guy part of me is that I can only play a shooting game if I only have to do that one thing. If I yeah. have to build shit, I can't. I can. I can do the game where my job is to run around and to shoot a gun and to get in a car occasionally. But if I also have some sort of like contract work I have to do, yeah, you got to build decks. Of, and shit. Yeah, I'm. I just they got rid of that though. You can you can play it the dumb guy way, and I love that. I'm not very good at it, but that's what I do to kind of keep up with my brothers. Um, but I, it's a hilarious community where every week it seems like they do something like you can play as sailor moon now and a bunch of people are like very happy i was like this is a great game it's very silly (laughs) yeah i played one weekend you could play you could play as goku that one weekend wait so is this like what the new community is going to be now is like the Fortnite people just you got to play that instead of uh being on Bandcamp. Well, they, it was it, it was in Epic Games' hands for like 15 minutes, and then they resold it, okay. and so it's it's gone now. So Epic sold it again. They, when they had it, it's not clear what they did. I, like I, from the outside, I'm not sure what happened. There wasn't any major restructuring of the company. Obviously, something fine like financially things changed hands, and they had some say in the business. But there wasn't a lot of day to day operations in terms of the people I know who are like editors at Bandcamp and people that I know online. There wasn't much day-to-day difference that was vis- visible publicly. Um, but then when they sold it again to Song Trader a couple weeks ago, uh, the difference was visible immediately, and they laid off half the staff cold overnight. Um, I'm not sure how it was decided. It doesn't really even appear to be seniority. People I know who have been there for years and years and years, who were in leadership roles there and head like editor roles and stuff, just overnight got canned. Um, I actually saw one statistic on Twitter that said something like um, there of the like 66 employees, uh, 19 of them were people of color and only four of them were rehired by Song Trader when the staff, when like half the staff was rehired by Song Trader. So I'd say that they are getting off on a perhaps bad foot, one might say. The other thing that people are suspecting is that it was recently after Bandcamp worked to unionize for the first time. Uh, And the entire Bandcamp union bargaining team was laid off. SongTrader says it was an accident because they did not know who was a member of the bargaining team. Uh, they just happened yeah, to right. accidentally lay off the entire bargaining team conveniently upon changing hands. <laughs> they had a now, whoops, you know it happens. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I'll say about Song Trader from looking at them is they're a B2B company, which means business to business. Most other companies that we're familiar with are B2C company, they're business to consumer, but business to business companies you've probably never heard of unless you're a business. So it is like a fundamentally different business model that they're dealing with than what Bandcamp used to be. 
Yeah. I mean, Bandcamp's job essentially was to let you, but on on a wide scale, let you as a band sell your shit to directly to people consumers without, yeah, without having a label, without having a, a um, streaming platform, without having a, a store, you could sell it directly to consumers they could pay for your music digitally, or you could also have a merch store there. We sell our T-shirts through there usually. Bandcamp takes a small cut, and then um, and in response to some some concerns about music from musicians about Bandcamp taking a cut of our very small profit margin, you know, most of us are hobbyists. My band is something that breaks even. I don't make we don't make money off of it. We make enough to keep it going and to pay for recording and that kind of stuff and equipment. We don't make enough to like make profits on it. So in response to some concerns about musician profit loss, Bandcamp started instituting weekly days a month where they would forego their profit share. And then you could, and so there was like a lot of, whether or not it was like a PR thing or genuine goodwill doesn't matter. There was effort to like say, you are a band and we want you to be able to sell directly to consumers and connect directly with fans outside of any label system or whatever. Um, Song Trader is B2B. And it's a music licensing service, which means licensing music to for other companies' use. Not so you're sa- so you're saying that we can go on Song Trader and now since they own Bandcamp, find a Camp Trash song and put it in Nersey. You know, honestly, if that was possible, that would probably be cooler than what's probably going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like if it was if it was like hey now companies can, or movies could buy your songs or whatever that might even be more helpful what's probably going to happen is nothing's been officially set in stone yet what's probably going to happen is that we are going to start being charged for using the service in some way mm-hmm. who knows what it's going to look like in the future but right now what bandcamp is for me is a small time minor musician is it allows me to get music out to people and merch and everything at the cost of a small percentage cut up top, um, which is different than everything else. Even putting my music on Spotify requires me to pay up front for a service to put my, a, you know, a fee to, for a distribution company to put my music on Spotify for me. Okay, but Keegan, what if I told you that your music was going to be used to soundtrack a commercial that Trey is going to see on his Instagram feed for underwear with ass padding? (laughs) I mean, that's what's crazy to me is that because we don't know what the sale entails, the idea of like what could happen to music, the rights for it on Bandcamp, we do not know. And I think that's what's frustrating is just that the idea that you could have a platform where you're just at least aware of like, what you can use it for and then that could disappear and so right now i as a person go do i take my music off bandcamp am i going to keep the rights to it am i going to be charged for having my music on bandcamp what changes for me now and because there's not a lot of money involved shit like the rights to my music and to own my music and sell my music is central to whether or not i can make any money on it at all um so well well, what if I told you that Camp Trash's music will tr- help train an AI model yeah, that will then make a pop punk song uh, that will be in ass-enhancing underwear Instagram It's going to be so great. One, 11.45 in Portland, Oregon by Camp Trash featuring Drake comes out. 
and it's about <laughs> butt enhancing pads and it's me and it's Drake and it's also Bruce Springsteen. Um, yeah. That, and that, that's the other thing. Like right now, obviously all the actors guilds and stuff are, un- are, are the unions are fighting for like, Hey, we don't know what's going to happen, but it appears that you can, you currently have our likenesses and something's going to happen in the future with that. And that's, I think where we are with the Bandcamp song trader stuff. It's like, Hey, all of our music is there. We don't know what's going to happen, but you just laid off everybody who was in the union and are not telling us what the future holds. Um, and I think without being like a typical, like boring NPR liberal or whatever, this is just the same thing we see with everything. Like every single utility or website or like program that I've ever used has been purchased and gutted. And I just can't like, I don't understand what we're, what, what is left on the internet for most of us besides using social media s- services we hate to try and keep up with our friends or something. It just like, probably what will happen is what happens with most things is that they will gut it for parts, it'll lose its utility, and then they will sell it in the future for a loss of some kind. Because that's what you see with most acquisitions like this. Nah, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of optimistic because what what really ends up happening, and we've talked about this before, but we've written so many pieces of content for the internet that the AI has learned off of, and we are, are not going to get any money from that. But at least you get to see that happen in real time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of I, I can't imagine how how terrible it must be to go. I don't even know the depths to which my hard work has been plundered for someone else's profit. At least I get to tangibly watch as that happens. And like like I said, I'm not I'm yeah, not maybe you're watching the corner one day and it's like, you know, Camp Trash Crown comes on and it's like, yo, it's like Leo pulling <laughs> at me, you know? <laughs> That could yeah, be cool. Yeah. It's it is just it is I don't yeah, I don't know anything for sure about what the future holds for it. But every time this happens, you remember that like you have fewer and fewer places to go online and less shit to do. And everything's becoming more boring and there's becoming less options for you as a creative person to do anything. Like if I want to pitch somebody about a piece of music writing I have, I'm down to like three websites that I could consider sending the pitch to, and two of them might pay me. Yeah, and well, I guess actually, that's... Oh. Go ahead. Uh, no, nah, I've been saying too much shit. Uh, <laughs> well, go. No, I was going to ask you, like, as a, as a content creator, you have access to the metrics of where people find your stuff, right? So how has that changed recently? Like, is TikTok actually a search engine for you guys in the way that the media talks about it when it comes to music discovery? Um, for us, no, I'm not, so I'm not sure how, like, you know, I'm 33. I don't pretend to understand how teens are finding and engaging with music, but I do know that for us, our music has never been engaged with on TikTok in any serious fashion. We we're only a, a marginal presence on there. My brother Levi, who plays bass in the band makes the TikToks and it feels like he should be on a government watch list for it. He's just like, <laughs> just like an insane person. The content's not offensive or upsetting. It's just bewildering. And but, but that being said, if you are not using it as an influencer or a content creator, like, you know, like, like for me, like if I was to post my song on Instagram right now, 
y'all might see it. Anybody who follows me on Instagram might see it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's just visible to people that already follow me. TikTok is like that for us. We have a small audience of people there that can see our stuff, but people aren't finding our music through organic means, really. Once there are some very kind like music review types who cover like emo and pop punk music who have mentioned us before. Um, but that's the same as like a YouTube channel. People who are there for that, that content creator's content are going to see it and possibly engage with it further, but it isn't connecting to like a larger audience for us. We're just finding new ways into the same kind of niche audience for the same kind of silo. Um, a lot of our listenership comes through Spotify and does initially came through like Spotify playlisting or putting it in your discover weekly or whatnot. Oh, so you're like, you're like pushing a Bentley then. Uh, yeah, we, uh, have made several couple twos of hundreds of dollars. through Spotify. (laughs) What about someone who like consumes music? Where do you go to find new stuff? That, I still end up on like social media sites like Twitter because I feel like I, I find something so limiting and deadening about the vertical video scroll where you have to like passively consume content. And very slowly you have to watch someone do their bit or talk through something and you have, and there's no like branching options. You can go to their page Mm -hmm. and see more of their stuff, or you can click on like a hashtag or a sound or whatever and see similar stuff. But realistically, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube shorts are this vertical video screen where you're passively engaging with what is happening to you. And aside from who you followed or what you've interacted with before, you're not in control of what's happening at all. And if you want more of something, you can like and follow and hopefully the algorithm puts more of that type of shit in your face but you're not able to explore the same way that I feel like you used to be able to. So with Twitter, I feel like it's a, I just enjoy the system of conversation with people getting recommendations that way. And I feel like I can engage with a lot more if I'm reading, if I'm not being forced to watch curated video stuff. Um, Keegan, this honestly just sounds like an opportunity for you to become the Keith Lee of underground music. (laughs) That, you know, that would be great for me to start listening to like rappers from Atlanta and going, you know, I tried, I really did. I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted, I'm just, I'm just a simple Christian man trying to provide for my family. I don't want to have nothing as bad to say about anybody, but I just. My family walked into the show and they said, hold on, we're starting in an hour. I walked in and they said, no, what happened? Mike's checked in five minutes. <laughs> You know, I, God, God bless him. He seems like a really nice guy, but it's it's just a kind of starting to be a bizarre world where he's doing like Sasha Baron Cohen costumes to like not be seen, and it's like I'm. This is starting to feel very strange. That should be his next thing, though. Like Tyler, Tyler Perry, like gives him a show, and he just like puts him in costumes and like sends him all around the city of Atlanta. It is kind of weird to think about that, like, in our short lifetime on the internet, things like food and uh, movies have had such weird, like, branches off of content, whereas music is more or less just, like, 
needle drop in academics and like Kai Sinat reacting to things, but there hasn't been any kind of like subculture that's existed around the critique of that music in the way that there has those other art forms. What are you talking about? You do you not listen to our own fucking podcast, man? Come on. Right. Uh, I mean, no, I, I, I yeah, remember when Drew said he didn't want to hear Travis Scott talk about uh, social justice issues. Best clip we've ever put out. Yep. Yep. Uh, hearing, hearing that back, I'm like, damn, that could be wildly misinterpreted. That's uh, <laughs> what you think of cool music. Cool. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess that is the other thing is like, you know, well, I mean, I guess like the podcasting boom has been really big for musicians, um, especially in hip hop. Like you have like, you know, Drink Champs is a might be a bigger podcast than like, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know how popular anything is or was ever, but like, you know, I don't like how like more people might watch a Drink Champs episode than like than people who bought Super Thug or something. And sure, like sure, probably more people watch Drink Champs and tune into BET back in its heyday. I would say that, yeah. Yeah. I and mean it's like, more accessible for one. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's the big thing about it. Like accessibility also lends to like it was kind of a power vacuum in the middle of a music criticism for a while, it felt like. And that's the thing, like when people see a power vacuum, they're gonna try to take some of that power and the more powerful you already are. Plus, it's not just that, but it's the fact that, that like, as a journalist, you're not supposed to be getting people drunk and then asking them questions. And they're just like, <laughs> man, fuck that shit. We're not doing that shit. We're Kodak Black, come on up here. Fucking do a fentanyl freestyle. I mean, like, you know, it's like Commissioner Gordon versus, like, Batman, you know? Commissioner Gordon can't just, like, go beat the shit out of some dude for, like, stealing shoes for his kid. But <laughs> Batman doesn't follow those rules. Yeah. So... What you're saying is what we're saying is like a bold music critic needs to rise up and like get who can be a, Bane? Who can be Bane and save the industry, you know? Craig Jenkins. Your, your take on Batman was that Bane saved it. Yeah, that's a correct take. <laughs> yeah, okay. Bane yo, Bane had some it's fucking points. He was like, yeah. look at this stupid he's like, look at this fucking idiot running around with his Gucci belts. Yeah, acting like he's actually helping people. Like, no, we're gonna we're gonna clean up Gotham City in our own way. That whole movie was so stupid. Like, they literally made Manhattan or Gotham City or whatever into an island, and then Batman, who had CNN in his like underground cell, manages to get the fuck out of there and like get onto the island. It, ugh, plot holes galore. I've only seen the meme, so I can't speak oh, on this. Oh, okay. Big jail movie. Um, I mean, but also like there is like a power vacuum because, you know, the other side of the Bandcamp thing is like it was one of the few places that you could read writing by professional writers about like underground music and you know, it's like obviously you can still do that on pitchfork and there are a lot of like indie things still around but like if the main two places to get paid for writing about underground music or reading something by a professional writer that was edited by a professional editor 
our pitchfork and Bandcamp, and then one of them goes away, that's like a 50% reduction in the amount of fucking writing about music that is good out there. Yeah. There was like, and it just happened so they're trying to keep it going, like the, the publication side of things, but somebody posted like, hey, we're doing the best we can, but shit's going to fall through the cracks. Like we're going to try and keep all the pieces we had started afloat, but now there's half of us or whatever. And we're just going to, and Bandcamp, the, the weird thing about Bandcamp is that they would let you do weird stuff because the point for Bandcamp, the thing that worked for them was their platform was hosting anything. So as long as you were writing about something that was on Bandcamp, you could write about it. I've pitched stuff to Pitchfork and Stereo Gum and was politely told, like, this is cool, but it's just, like, not maybe not a fit for us right now. Like, there's not maybe enough interest in, like, Japanese Screamo for us to, to justify paying for a whole feature on it. But Bandcamp let me write a history of Indonesian punk cassette labels because that stuff was hosted on Bandcamp. You could find it on Bandcamp and you could read about it and learn about it and go and go find it and buy it. And there was an ecosystem where... As long as it was housed there, you could write about it, you could discover it, you could purchase it, you could, and there just isn't stuff like that. And, and I think that there are like a ton of people who are trying to do like music recommendation stuff on TikTok. And I've seen a lot of kids who are like very smart, who are young people who are just like very interested in learning things and finding out more about music and recommending music. And they're often very insightful. And But there's just as much kids who were just like not interested in like the context of stuff or old people music or what came before. And you do want that balance of like there being people who are like, like you mentioned Craig Jenkins, like one of the smartest motherfuckers alive who just like knows so much about music. Cause he spent his whole life thinking about it and, and, and studying it and think and researching it. And, and that kind of perspective and insight and taste is like invaluable and, as we lose platforms for that, we lose outlets for that. And I personally end up just following recommendations of my friends or people who I follow on social media because there just seems like there's no guiding lights anywhere. Wait, what about the Joe Budden podcast, bro? The last 20 minutes are dedicated to sleepers. <laughs> you know, that, I did uh, not uh, know yeah. that. That whole sentence is so beautiful and funny to me. <laughs> But like, I just want to say it out loud because it feels like poetry. The last 20 minutes of the Joe Budden podcast is dedicated to sleepers. Um, and, but also, like, I, I, podcasting, it sounds good. there's also like a thing where it, at this point, podcasting is an excuse to clip out 20-second videos of three guys holding microphones. And also I found out a shit ton of those videos aren't Wait. podcasts. No, they're those are just people. Just with microphones like when you ever you see a girl talking about like the porn industry or something super explicit with a friend and they're like doing a funny pot that's not a podcast that's nine times out of ten not a podcast at all that is two people holding microphones because those videos perform better Mm -hmm. and it's like there has to be something very real and true about the concept of we have a bunch of like veneers like storefronts of podcasts criticism conversation and when you go to that page, there's nothing but the storefront. There is nothing but the that content, those 30-second clips. There isn't anything deeper or more beyond it. And the only podcasts that exist that people listen to are interview podcasts. Or maybe musicians talking to each other. And it's cool, and it's a great time and place to be. But it doesn't feel like there's anybody doing the work of 
curation and discovery and sharing that out. Except Joe Budden. Again, sorry, I mean, the 20 minutes are dedicated to the Joe Budden podcast. The last 20 what? minutes, every episode are dedicated to sleepers. 20 minutes out of every <laughs> three hours. Yes. Um, Joe I mean, Budden could be given more time to sleepers, by the way. Just saying. But the other problem is, like, we would love to do that here, but we're worried that whatever we play will end up getting taken down or DMCA'd or whatever. That's not true. We're just fucking lazy. (laughs) No, we're worried about the law. We love the law. It is totally true, though, that there is no benefit to rolling the dice on that. For people who are making content of any kind, to include clips of other people's music or stuff, every... The fight is for ownership of shit. The fight is for who has the license for things. And I, that, I'm, essentially, that's what I worry about with the song trader stuff, is that I'm worried that it's going to devolve further into licensing stuff and auto-striking things that contain content that's copyrighted. And like the, small, the more tightly controlled that world gets, the less room there is for the sharing out, the discovery, the exploring stuff. Because if you're a kid who can't share any clips of music... I've seen a lot of like, kids on TikTok doing their best to just show the cover of something and describe what it sounds like, which is great, but they're obviously afraid to use any content because there's a world of copyright strikes they're afraid of. And that's the thing. You either just like kind of have to go for it or trust that your audience has all the reference points you're making, which 99% of the time, probably 99.7% of the time, they're not going to understand. Like, try yeah. explaining 100 Gex to somebody over the age of 30 who just, like, is a regular person, not, like, supremely online all the time. Yeah, that Fox News guy. Well, you got to be more specific than that. Oh, well, Gutfeld? Yeah, he, like, loved 100 Gex. He, like, kept talking about it uh, during the weather forecast or whatever the fuck they talk about on that channel. I'm going to find out exactly the name of the guy, Gex. I got to be honest. I wonder what they're talking about on, like, day-long news broadcast at this point like what uh yeah greg gutfield he shouted out 100 gex and death grips apparently he was like is this like fox news like the fox news or like one of the like local subsidiaries no it's like he's like a music nerd it is the fox news he's like the worst one he's like their biggest star now and oh, he's also Laura, randomly. Laura, Laura Lux is going to beat his ass, man. Laura, what's her name? Laura Lex. Laura, no, Laura, Laura Ingram. No, Laura. Laura what, Ingalls what's... Wilder. <laughs> Greg Gutfield is Laura the name. Yeah, what was I saying? No, Laura Lex is a Twitter person. Yeah, Laura Les. One of the members of Hundred Gucks. What's the other one, Dylan? Anyway. So what's the worst case scenario for what Bandcamp is doing? Like you hear your music used without permission in a, a Call of Duty commercial or like nobody hears your music. What would you prefer? <laughs> That's a great question. And honestly, at this point, I don't know what the, the best case scenario for the future looks like. I don't know like what people are supposed to do. It feels like increasingly there is less money everywhere uh spotify recently announced that they're changing some of their pay structure stuff which everyone's panicked about and it turns out mostly it's just demonetizing like like there's a lot of like white noise scams where people put up like hundred track list albums of white noise or birdsong 
I'm sorry, they're not scams. Your brain functions better when you're listening to 528 hertz music. It's just a proven <laughs> fact. That's science. And, it, and especially when it's in 15-second long clips on 200-track albums. And, but so they're demonetizing some of the stuff that is like, that gets only very, very, very few plays or is clearly like harvesting streams that way. But at the same time, if you're like, Spotify is trying to scrape pennies to shovel money upward, like how much longer do we have before what we get paid for our streams, which is already pretty low, how that gets whittled down? Or the, and the costs for being, like doing music stuff are so high at this point for creating vinyl or merch or anything. Like it costs me 10 or 12 bucks to print a shirt. So mm-hmm. then I have to sell it for 25 bucks to be able to ship it anywhere. And it's like, if the cost, if the profits for just the actual music and streaming get cut even further, it's a question of like, what do we do with music? Which it's, it's a hobby at this point for only people who can afford it. Have you had your music licensed or synced for any kind of commercials or TV things of that nature? No, typically sync. So I've had a lot of friends who have smaller bands that have done sync stuff and gotten it, you know, in movies or commercials, but it's few and far between. And typically you have to have a separate agent for that, like a sync agent, oh. um, somebody who helps place that for you because most music supervisors are not just searching are not spending their day crawling to find new and unheard stuff. So my, I think my music is licensed through ASCAP through like that. Um, <laughs> just the songwriting is like, like the underwear with butt pads. <laughs> <laughs> ass caps um but again because the, the systems of discovery are gone so you actually do I have a friend who has a small band they actually pay somebody as a sync supervisor to try and get, connect their music to other people and you might end up paying more than you ever make in that to get somebody to help you do that um the avenues to discover things just keep shrinking and so like, you know, Spotify, when they change their algorithm or anything, or we got recently taken off a of playlist that we were on for a while, one of Spotify's playlists, and our listeners dropped by, it was like, um, it was an embarrassingly titled emo playlist. Emo right now. Yeah, emo right now. The current emo music. But that was on there for a while, and it got taken off, and you don't really know why these things happen. It's not a big deal. Sometimes it comes and goes. But since then, our music listenership has, draw- has been cut in half. Just because a lot of it came from passive traffic, from people listening to Spotify playlists. And I just feel like there are fewer avenues for people to find our music on their own. And when it's not being put directly in front of them, like placed in their feed for them, it's not being discovered as often. So like kind of the only avenue for Camp Trash now, if you ever want to make it huge, is you have to just use music as a way to sell clothes and the lifestyle brand like the asap mob or the the, sadly the best way forward would would be for us to create a really shitty youtube channel and then become known for something else and then have our music people find our music that way like the you know the pd guy he's a good musician he's like uh he's a actually a good songwriter but he is that long-haired guy that makes tiktoks of him are talking to himself He's got like I, what? The PD. He's a, I don't know. He's a very popular TikTok guy. Well, but I know. He, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he's a funny guy, but he moved I think out to LA to do music, 
and it just died. And so he did TikTok instead. And now he's able to promote his music after the fact. He's now like going out and tour supporting people. But it all happened sort of. He had to just become famous for something else first. And that's sort of the way forward. People have to kind of become like niche internet micro celebrities for different shit and then promote their music themselves. Because there's not like a really a secondary outlet for that. I mean, that's kind of what Keith Lee did, just saying. <laughs> he was like a semi-pro with some shit MMA guy, and then now he's doing food reviews. I'm just saying, if you start seeing videos of me in my car eating Wingstop, don't say shit. I'm just trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, this actually like gets to my next point, which I think is a question I'd want all of you to answer, but is music content? In, in what regard? I mean, in the way that we view content, should we look at music in that same way? Or is music some kind of higher art form that has to be judged on a different set of merits than what it is to soundtrack Keegan's Wingstop binge? I mean, I think that, you know, uh, music is an art object in any, in, you know, and in any medium, um, an art object is something that, you know, can be, it is created with an intent and then it is interpreted however it is interpreted. And it can be created with the intent to have this be content. And it can also be created like, and if, you know, I'm like, I'm going to make a song in my mind, the song is content. You know, someone might be like, damn, this is the most like uh, poetic battle rap about ancient Roman history, which is the kind of music that I would make. Uh, sure, sure. It, that I've ever heard. And then... The literal battle rap, like rap about battles. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Okay. I, I would be going to like, you know, tour like summer programs for gifted student, gifted high school students, um, you know, local community colleges, et cetera. Um, but then you can also, you know, be like, all right, I'm putting my fucking heart and soul into this shit. I'm like inventing new synth techniques. I'm like creating new instruments. Uh, this album is like, a, yeah, this album is a metaphor for like post-industrial decay in fucking Nebraska. And then like someone is just like, oh, this is nice. I'm going to put this on while I go to sleep. Um, and then you have tried to create art, but it's being consumed as content. I well, think that there's like a, like a reverse problem happening where people are like, obviously music's being consumed like everything else. Like Drew's saying, like it's, it's like, you're on your phone. You're taking all the shit in the same passive way, just a bunch of videos to the dome, like zero, like searching, just mostly like poof, being inundated. People are trying now to create music to be consumed that way. And it's creating really bizarre music. Like jingles. Um, yeah, it's jingles. People are creating jingles. People are creating intentional 20 second like songs that have like and and some of it's great music and but One, the problem eight, is seven, seven cars for kids. <laughs> oh, do you guys the guys know that those fuckers are Zionists? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. Oh, oh, you didn't know about that? 
Cars no. for Kids is an is a raise money for Israel foundation. God damn it. Oh my god. <laughs> this whole time. Uh, you, 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 you didn't hear me singing along, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> got his ass. <laughs> um and so sometimes the like creating music for TikTok makes fun music. Like a lot of like the Steve Lacey intentionally like framed his music for TikTok. He's like, if you mm. like, you could have these perfect like twenty second earworms that really, but then he had people coming to his shows that only knew the twenty. They didn't know oh, the words yeah, to his whole song, <laughs> and he just like stopped touring. He was like, this fucking sucks. He's like, nobody is here because they know my music. They've only consumed the piece. That has been given to them. They've only they only know the piece that keeps getting put in front of them. Yeah, it's but like the irony- a sonic version of those restaurants with all like the vines on the wall and the fucking neon sign behind it. The key key like, restaurant. Worry, it's brunch and that kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Steve Lacey album is a, a good example because absolutely he got fed up with people doing that. But I know a lot of esteemed musicians who say that that album is amazing. And they're like, it no, is. you have to listen to that album. Right. Steve Lacey's like, he he doesn't really miss, honestly. Except for like decision making in this case. <laughs> yeah. But, but like I, how many of the people are transferring over to listen to the full album? The, Not this enough. Is, right. That there's a definitely a problem where you have you see like this one song with a billion streams and then the album just kind of falls off. But then there's also kids who are trying to replicate that piece of it, the viral piece of it. And so you're seeing a bunch of, like, typically white musicians make really horrible shit because there is, like, they're sure they can replicate this, like, moment, this, like, catchy sing-along part that's going to, like, launch them. And um, I don't want to, like, name names, but there's several kind of, like, pop-punk type music groups that are just making... 15 second clips stretch out to songs and they don't sound songs. Yeah. Like, I guess back to the question though, it's like, I guess Drew was kind of talking about intent in terms of like content. Yeah. Yeah, But it's also like what intent, just because you build something doesn't mean it's going to be used for what you want it to be used. Like the dude who invented dynamite, you know? Yeah. And it's like, what happens when you make a song like, uh, you're Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 and you get in the booth one day and you make <laughs> yeah, smooth and then it just down the years becomes a fucking meme. I know. Um, I mean, but also that's like a sort of almost like rich piece of music history. Like um, I was a college radio DJ and we were always getting these compilations of what they would call like library music um, and a lot of what that is, is like ambient synth music from like, usually like the seventies or eighties, um, which was made for like, I don't know, like stores or elevators or shit, um, like literal commercial objects that then get like discovered and reissued by labels as like art objects. Um, and then the same thing with like vaporwave, like the Holy grail of vaporwave is like fucking Kmart music, in-store music from the '90s. Yeah, and I think that the 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 this what it comes down to is like anything can become anything, and like like our biggest song on Spotify is not great. It is just the one that we put out first, 
it's the one that got on some playlists and it's kind of the easiest one to like, like a kind of hummable chorus kind of thing. It's not like the song we like, and it's not the song that I think is good. It just happens to be the one. And so you can put out music, anything can happen. You're just like, well, this is our most popular song now, whether or not I think it's the good one. But I think that when there's so few ways to get your music out there, and so you see people trying to play the system by intentionally creating music to go viral for a specific platform or to be consumed in a specific way, you kind of can compress the medium. You kind of compress what your options are and what your ideas can be, and you compress the, the range of potential for what you're doing. And then you get music that isn't bad necessarily, but doesn't have any purpose besides becoming a backdrop, becoming a neon sign at a restaurant that says, buy me tacos and call me baby or something. Just like, <laughs> just like it is, it becomes a backdrop because the intention was for it to be used that way. And I find that that's like why you see a lot of independent musicians, especially talk really hostily about TikTok as if they're much older than they are. Like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't want to make us do a fucking dance for my song. It's like, well, no one's gonna listen to your song anyway, man. The reason people are mad about it is because you do feel like you have to create something specific to be consumed that way. Like, I don't think that I, our music doesn't go viral on TikTok. It doesn't, it doesn't connect with people on TikTok because I just don't think it suits itself to like making videos. You know, it doesn't feel like a cool soundtrack for you changing outfits or doing something like it's not, it just doesn't work that way. And so it's also interesting because like you guys, Camp Trash started as a meme, right? <laughs> That's absolutely true. We, um, didn't the music we recorded the music with no plan for what to do with it so we recorded it and immediately made a twitter account and started telling people that we have music and we're gonna put music out and then kind of like stars was kind enough to say we'll, we'll put it out we'll put it out on vinyl and everything it just takes a hundred years to do that these days mm. it was like right at the start of the pandemic and so this was like the gay hooters era of camp trash right <laughs> yes, exactly. The Benghazi wings camp trash era. Yeah, uh, I'm um, sorry. Can you can you del can you explain those two phrases to me and everyone else? What gay hooters? I, I think yeah, like what's we're prevented from talking about it further? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of explains itself. Like it's gay hooters, and their biggest attraction was their Dyson Airblade. <laughs> and yeah, it was yeah. Yeah, and okay, it was so a real restaurant, but it wasn't. Explaining gay hooters would require them to reinstate Tom Brody's Twitter account, which I think is the most important thing that any of us can write our congressman about is to put Dude, Tom's Twitter account on the website. Why we're losing recipes. airplane involved? What? What was the Dyson Airblade involved for? Because they had one and they wanted you to know about it. <laughs> it's like it would take it's not worth it it's just not the, the amount you, of time yeah, you had to be there dude you had to be there to explain i think that it's very just it's very basic concept what if hooters was gay and then <laughs> yeah that makes sense that makes very simple sense. it's not hard um well, you, so, put, you put your dick in the airplane <laughs> so in the beginning we we're gonna stop, put our stop doing that with you, thank you <laughs> We were going to put our music out ourselves and said, hey, we got music coming out. 
And then the label was like, we actually, it's going to take like, you know, eight, nine months for us to get vinyl made and we can't release it till then. So then we just had to keep telling people, no, we're not lying. The music is coming just much <laughs> later. And we just had for nine months had to like insist to people that we are a real band and music will come someday. Like we're not lying. We didn't make it up. It is going to happen. And so Camp Trash as a real band became a joke because it did not seem like we were a real band. It seemed like a bit that I made up that I had this okay. band. And then we, for some reason, we made a t-shirt that said that before we actually released any music. Um, that That's just said good. Camp Trash is a real band. And our, our friend Jay, Listen Up Nerds on Twitter, made a shirt that just said Camp Trash is a real band and I'm in it. And so... <laughs> We started selling a T-shirt before the music came out, which made us look more like a pyramid scheme that didn't actually have any music coming out. <laughs> and people were just like, you're not a band. And we were like, we promise you we're a band. And now we're sort of a band. Um, Wait, so where did the Benghazi wings fit into Camp Trash? Uh, the, well, that was at Gay Hooters. Yeah, yeah no, the Benghazi wings were at band I mean, we were just talking about all the different like revenue streams you need to pursue in order to be a profitable music band. Yes. And when, like I said, when I'm in my car reviewing the Benghazi wings, I need y'all to just keep <laughs> scrolling. Um, so yeah, I think that the, a, a, a lot of the origins of the band were kind of a meme. We're very like a joke. And, be, and part of that was intentional because like, people don't really give a shit if you have a band with guitars in it. Like, it's fine. Like, there's just a lot of them. And so I don't click every Spotify link I see on people's Instagram or whatever. But I think what people are online for is to feel like, to find something that's funny and to feel like they're part of the joke. Like, mm -hmm. actually, the, the, mm -hmm. the gay Hooters riff that we used to do was funny because we all liked being in on this joke. That whenever somebody new saw it, they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? And we would have like this whole bit about gay hooters that we would do. And it felt funny because it was like our joke, like, a, like an in-joke, even though it was online in a public forum. And so the band feeling like an in-joke, it did, it did what we wanted it to do, which is we wanted it to feel like you were a part of it. Like it was like, we don't have like a local music scene because it's the middle of a pandemic and nobody can see us play in real life. And there's nothing about this that feels like actually connecting but if this is like a, a joke that we share that you're part of, you're in Camp Trash too. And you have the, t like, then it feels like we're sharing something. So you're saying that Camp Trash is like the polyphonic spree. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that everyone is in it. Everyone is in it. And if, hang on a sec, my littlest brother is calling. Hey, Hayden, I'm, I'm doing a podcast. Can I call you later? Is that the one who has a dirt bike? No, he doesn't have a. I mean, he might have a phone right now. That one sometimes has a phone, sometimes doesn't. Oh, I said dirt bike. No, I'm saying that one who has the dirt oh, that bike. One does have, oh, okay. He All wouldn't right. be calling me because he doesn't have a cell phone. Okay. Honestly, a, that sounds like a better arrangement in life to have a dirt bike over a cell phone. I take that shit. Yep. That's exactly what I would prefer. I'm trying to. They lean into the dirt bike mentality, which is instead of doing what I normally do, I get a dirt bike and ride a dirt bike. <laughs> dirt bikes I mean, are hard because you got to fucking switch gears with like a weird motion of your foot that you're not normally used to. Real pain in the ass. Well, the dirt bike mentality is a little different than that. 
the, yeah, the dirtbag mentality that it, it encompasses a lot of shit. It's about living moss dirt bike. Do you guys have the mini bike <laughs> gangs? Like the dudes that roll around on the tiny little bikes? Uh, yes. They just like do wheelies down the street on like little yeah, Vespas yeah. or whatever? Uh, well, there's, there's sort of like uh, size agnostic bike gangs in Philly and it ranges from everything from like side by sides to four wheelers to big dirt bikes, medium dirt bikes, and then the like little like Hondas that look like they're for children, but they're actually for adults. Um, and they and size has no bearing on like how loud and how cool the loud sound is when you rev the engine, also. Yeah, I think that Philly seems to have a really good um, personal recreation vehicle community. Yes, yes. Um, And yeah, actually, everyone in the DSA owns one. And so you know what they call the DSA here? The dirt bike left. (laughs) Unbelievable. I'm so sorry. Do people ride those little hoverboards around or like segways? Like if I had a segway, can I hop in on the motorcycle game? Unfortunately, there is like a little weird hoverboard community here that hangs out at the bar near my house. And they all sort of- Wait, it's little in Portland? The hoverboard- (laughs) I don't- Look, uh, this is bad PR for Portland to admit there's a massive hoverboard community that hangs out at the bar near my house. Are they causing trouble? I mean, unless unless the poles come. Yeah, they like- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they triangulate his position from there. I yeah. wake up one morning, I'm like, Raquel, Google what flags those are outside our house right now. It's very <laughs> important I figure out what flags these are. <laughs> so what do you play in the band? I play guitar. I do the lead guitar, um, which I just had to learn to do because I'm not really, I can't really sing. So I had to figure out like what my usefulness was to the band. Tambourine. So I've gotten... I've gotten better as I go along because I want, I like that was just my role in the band. And I, as time gone has gone on, I've wanted to do more interesting things and make that more of a, a part of our music. And so um, the music we have out now is kind of like pop punk. Cause it's sort of, we grow up listening to and went to those shows a lot as teenagers. Um, but increasingly I'm trying to like, listen to older music and like just find more interesting things to do with the guitar than the same stuff I grew up on. You know, I've, I spend a lot of time now listening to like guided by voices and Elvis Costello and like all just kind of older guitar music where people were doing really weird things that other people weren't doing. Um, and trying to learn what could like, just find things that are more fun and more interesting for me personally. And hopefully turn our music into something that's a little bit less uh, predictable and something that's a little bit more fun. Have you um, seen Prince uh, do the cover of My Guitar Gently Weeps at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with all those other people, but Prince like definitely stole the show? I don't know where he, th- he throws the guitar up in the air at the end and like it doesn't come down. It's oh, so wait, I've seen that sick. clip, the video, that the guitar that disappears. Oh, like Bobby Smurder said Exactly, yes. Bobby Shmurda definitely took that from Prince. Do you guys feel um, like that's when everything got fucked up? Like when Bobby threw nope. the hat, everything after that was fucked up? 
then if the hat comes down, then and like it's, then it's going to be all be put right again. We're in an alternate timeline because the hat didn't come down. That was like what, like 2013? Yeah, I mean that's a lot to put on Bobby Schmurda, though. No, 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 that wasn't. That had to be a little. Like, I want to say like 14 minutes. Actually, it doesn't matter. Everything is actually Rich Homie Kwan's fault. That probably is true. Actually, I believe that. <laughs> what, what Rich Gang broke up and all yeah, of a the sudden, timing works out. He stopped going in. Damn, that's true. He did stop going in. Damn, when was the last time Rich Homie Kwan went in? I think that's the key. 2017. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, fuck. I remember Slava once interviewed Rich Homie Kwan and I mean I, I interviewed Rich Homie Kwan a few times. The first time you we were talking about was over the phone. And then when I talked to him at the art gallery, we were talking about artists and I'm like, wow, it looks like he stopped going in. Will you ever stop going in? I really <laughs> lobbed it up for him to be like, no, I will never stop going in. And you stopped going in. Yeah. I hate when people lie to me. That's why I can't form close relationships. Because everybody that I love someday will stop going in. Can I ask you a question about guitars? <clears throat> All right. What's the difference between, is there a scale between rocking, shredding, and wailing? Yeah. And I think it's in that order. Okay. Rocking is you're, you know, you're just, you're hitting that shit. You're having a good time. Everything's going well. And, but that's like, you know, the whole band can be rocking. Okay. Now shredding one of you has to be shredding somebody. That means that whoever's on their instrument is really, is really getting it. But when you are wailing, that's a different, that's a different tier. That's, that's, I think Prince Wales. I think those guys wail. I think that you've got to really be, getting after it to be wailing. I don't I don't think that I do much wailing. Do you think you could if you had a whammy bar? Yes, of course. That's the problem. If I just had better equipment, I would be wailing. You got to you got to whammy to wail, I think. Okay. Okay. What um, if Birdman came to you and he said, "I want to sign you guys, but the deal has to be favorable to Birdman." What sort of things would you not negotiate on? I gotta like, what be honest, are some things you need? I feel like nothing that our music could do would be favorable to Birdman. I can't That's imagine. That's not true. He, he signed Kevin Rudolph. He signed Kevin Rudolph, okay? <laughs> yeah, I think I, the most favorable thing to Birdman is like having you guys would give Kevin Rudolph an album to produce. Yeah, I think that there's like, if we could just serve up some raw material for someone to shape into something useful. We might have to cut this out, but is Birdman like a shitty person? Yeah, dude. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> he's, like really, he's really bad to everybody he's worked with, right? Like he's a bad person. Well, when BG, when BG got out, he was there. I don't know if he gave BG a dime, but like, yeah, Birdman showed up. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, Birdman is a walking, more powerful party breaching the contract. Do y'all remember when Marvel did a thing where like Birdman was a villain in one of the comic books or something? Yeah, shit? he was Kingpin in Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> also, I just wanted to know. I, I said it, so like Slava's not making this up. Uh, yeah, that would be on me. <laughs> this is Kevin Rudolph breaking down how he wrote his hit song, Let It Rock. So this is a TikTok. Damn. Okay, so do you think Kevin Rudolph would have had a longer career? If he'd called it, let it wail. <laughs> you know, the question is, 
is kind of would he have gone higher? Absolutely. Can you imagine if you were in the club and Let It Wail came on? <laughs> okay, this is actually every picture of Kevin Rudolph playing guitar looks like little Wayne playing guitar. It looks like he's just seeing a guitar for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just Googled a picture of Kevin Rudolph and I did not know he really, really like looked like this. You guys need to go on his TikTok. He's spilling the tea with like that a look, lot of wooden jewelry on. Every sentence of Kevin Rudolph's Wikipedia is in... Uh, Rudolph's first studio album was released November 24, 2008. Produced and co-written by Rudolph with the exception of one song, She Can Get It, which was produced by the Neptunes. Big tune. I mean, so the like post-NWA Ruthless Records uh, sort of like landscape was super random like i think that will i am was at least a ghostwriter for that or maybe was like signed and they also had a hip-hop flautist like a Miriam guy his name was jimmy z and all he did was play flute over hip-hop beats and like uh, I feel like him and Kevin Rudolph, after having looked at a picture of Kevin Rudolph, are like somehow kindred spirits. These guys exist in every genre. We typically, we didn't this year because <laughs> our singer's sister was getting married, but we always play this punk festival in Florida called The Fest. And that's where a bunch mm. of like, you know, beer, like PBR punk bands all come to play. And then a lot of my friends in smaller emo bands go there to play. And it's a lot of fun because like the venues are just bars around the city and there's no open container laws. So you just sort of like drink between the bars and the sea bands and small rooms and it's a lot of fun but there's a guy who plays but they also do a lot of like they're old punk guys and so they do a lot of like bringing on denim jacket punk stuff that is just very stereotypical um and the guy that is there every year called the punk rock cellist and he <laughs> just nice. does cello covers of punk rock songs which i don't i'm not sure even how it works i haven't seen him play i don't know how you would differentiate a punk rock cover of the Ramones from a punk rock cover, a cello cover of the Ramones from Black Flag or something. But he is the punk. There is a Does genre plus instrument of every genre. Does he wail on the cello or does he riff on it? Like, what, what is he doing? I, I would say that he shreds on the cello. I okay. do not know okay. if he wails on the cello. I think if you're like, if you were the death metal cellist, then you'd probably be wailing on the cello. Slava, when you were in prison, did you have a Switch? Like a, a knife or a Nintendo? Like a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> no. <laughs> look, at, look at me in the face and, and, and try and assess if I've ever said the word Switch and meant a weapon. I, am, <laughs> I clearly am a person who's only ever referred to a game system. No, you're not allowed to have a, a Switch. You're allowed to have up to a DS, um, the one that doesn't connect to the internet. But I was big on N64 games. Because I remember we were in the group chat with our dearly departed friend, Christian Smith. And he was like, I'm playing switch right now. And it says Slava just logged on. And I think he's in prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we're dead, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to cut that for it. We're going to have to cut Sorry. that for it. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Okay. Um... Sorry. I'm pulling on my drafts right now. Yeah. Look at fucking Nardwar over here. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. I didn't even think that. Wow, fuck. <laughs> it was. I just have some never. Of best, some of the best times of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I've never 
laughed harder than all of us as a team trying to figure out, like Googling, can you have Nintendo in prison? Oh, you can you can have the, anything uh, in prison, but was this in the uh, DSTT? Yeah, this was in DSTT. Yeah. yeah, tell everybody over there, sir, what's up. Yeah. If y'all are still in there, yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, it's still uh we still got the the crew in there. Probably until everybody dies. It just became like I think like um everybody's bonded after after a few of the crew pass, everybody just sort of is stuck together for we're we're all married now. It's I got a new phone and then yeah, my Slack just like I couldn't get back in it and then nobody gave me a password, so I was like, all right man, fuck y'all. We'll toss you back in there at some point. Yeah. It, it'll happen it'll be like true blood like somebody's gone from season three to season eight and then i just pop back up since this is now the nursey responsibility era should we all read our twitter drafts okay this is a draft i wrote on tour a while ago and it, it literally says this is the first draft on my browser twitter uh no bullshit it says if vice slash noisy was still a thing like it used to be camp trash would be doing tour bar diaries <laughs> yeah Yes, because yeah. I like, was I was in charge of that, like finding <laughs> to do those. And, yeah, we because it's very specific when you're on tour. You want to go to a bar that isn't good because you have like twelve dollars <laughs> and you got a little bit drunk before your set, but now you're half sober, and so you have to use twelve dollars to get drunk again, and that requires a bar that is like smells like you could until very recently smoke inside of it, <laughs> and. We just have a lot, a long list of terrible bars in in cities across America that we would have had a, a noisy blog in a different era about. Uh, okay, well, I have two, and it's uh, the fact that I haven't been able to stop thinking about how they give gorillas tablets. Did you see that in the news? They gave gorillas at the zoo tablets. For what? No, to like go online, and the gorillas got addicted to the tablets. What? <laughs> Yeah, this was happening everywhere. And then they took away the tablets and the gorillas got so mad. So oh then, my God. <laughs> like they had to give the gorillas back the tablets. And all that they were watching was like gorilla based content. That what? Rocks. That actually is awesome as hell. Oh that, my God. That seems like it's not going to backfire at all. No, the, <laughs> don't show them. Do not show them Planet yeah. of the Apes. The most recent Google search was <laughs> weapons that gorillas can make and use. <laughs> Oh, this is a good one, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Um, talking about playing Trivial Pursuit, how about you trivially pursue some bitches? <laughs> Drew, what you uh, got? Extremely Bernie voice. For too long, the Millionaire Boys Club and Billionaire Boys Club have enjoyed exclusive access to the drip, tax-free. That's a good one. You should have let that one fly. Yeah, that's that's actually yeah, beautiful. That's really good. Uh, uh, Scooby-Doo was funny as shit because everyone would split up and they would send Shaggy with the talking dog. They wanted that nigga to die. <laughs> uh, that one. That one's funny because it's true. No, this one, whenever a tweet gets more than like 15 retweets, people start disagreeing for, with it for no reason. I said, I enjoy a good hot dog, and someone said, you're just making shit up. <laughs> uh, 
was weirdly hoping that Oliver Anthony was out here doing guitar tricks, a la windmills, duck walks, playing it with his teeth, etc. <laughs> I have one that just says Andrew Tate is just Dane Cook. <laughs> you you might have you might have you might have done something. Uh, boy, I know David Attenborough be wanting to beat Morgan Freeman's ass. <laughs> <laughs> to like to be fair like what the fuck does morgan freeman know about dinosaurs all right keegan draft us oh. um this one this one says they should have let camp trash be town troubadours and gilmore girls that is <laughs> true but also a little bit damning that there's this many gilmore girls related drafts in here <laughs> um slav it's a is it you uh, this one's just lowest common denominator sound system. <laughs> All right. All, All right. right. Nice. Okay. So I've never actually listened to U2 beyond their three main songs. Are they actually good or have they always been fucking bullshit? I like that you're hanging on to that one because you're afraid of U2 stands. I do, <laughs> not, I do not know if U2 stands. Are they, they're using speech to text, right? Like, how are they going to find you? <laughs> Um, all right, this has been Nerzy, uh, the number one uh, anti-Polish podcast. All right, the for once and future number one anti-Polish podcast on leftist. I probably Twitter. agree with number two. Oh, sorry. Once again, this is Nerzy, the once and future number two left anti-Polish podcast on leftist rap Twitter. I have created a fucking tongue twister there uh i'm drew and i'm joined by trey slava and and our guest has been keegan um of camp trash check him out on uh spotify youtube tiktok uh song trader um (laughs) am i i guess fucking band camp um am i missing anything tiktok got that one well you know the way i've been discovering music now joe button <laughs> the kids who just like ride their bikes and have their bluetooth speakers playing loud as hell for no reason so when I mean, it's a good song i just shazam it this is what i'm always telling people to discover new music just do it the old-fashioned way go stand outside <laughs>